Welcome to this episode of Horrific History and Hauntings. I'm Beth. And I'm Ramey. We're your hosts, here to talk about the stories that the history of books ignore. From horrific epidemics and ghostly hauntings, to the catastrophes and tragic events that have sickened humanity. If I was human, I would feel ill. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about the Weston State Hospital, which is also called Trans-Allegheny. Beth, it's Allegheny. Allegheny. You've heard that. No. We are like the Allegheny. Never mind. Trans-Allegheny lunatic asylum but i'm calling it weston state hospital because i cannot continue to say the other one. well the other one also is not very politically correct so what does it mean a lunatic asylum oh i didn't uh, what's trans allegheny it covers the allegheny region oh i didn't know that was a thing well, I, I, how did you never hear of that we don't hear it very often even living in the region but i've mm-hmm. heard it the name changed following the admission of West Virginia as a U.S. state in 1863 to West Virginia Hospital for the Insane. That sounds about right for the time. Obviously located in Weston, West Virginia. It was opened in 1864 and construction began in late 1858. Before stonemasons were brought from Europe, prisoners and slaves were used for the labor to build it. That sounds about right for the period as well. Yeah, but in 1861, construction was paused due to the Civil War. The partially built hospital and the surrounding grounds were turned into Camp Tyler for the Union. That's what West Virginia was, the Union. Yeah. The southern wing was completed and was used as barracks. The main foundation was used as a stable. In 1862 to 1863, Confederate raids dislodged the Union troops temporarily. In 1864, Confederate raiders stripped the asylum of all food and clothes intended for its first group of patients. What happened to the patients? Were they even there yet? I don't think they were there yet because it wasn't finished being built. I mean, that's probably for the best if they were all going to go hungry and... Naked, yeah. October 1864, the first patients were admitted to the hospital. Oh, that answered that question. The first patient was a housewife who was committed for domestic trouble. That's she didn't listen to her That's husband. That's what the report said, yeah. Domestic yeah, she didn't listen trouble. to her husband. That's what happened. Yeah. They would have called it hysterical 100 years before I would, that. I would be staying in this hospital if that was the case nowadays. I, I would not be able to leave. <laughs> have, you, have you sanctioned constantly? Are you willing to submit to your husband? Hell no. I think. Just because you say I have to, I ain't going to. I'm not sure if sanctions the American term. I think committed. That's what I said. Yeah, okay. I didn't know about sanctioned as a word to use in that. I watched too much BBC. The first logbook had lists of reasons the patients would be admitted, such as grief, brain congestion, feebleness of intellect, seduction, novel reading. (laughs) And I put a question mark around that one because what? I can't read a novel. What kind of novel are these that you are getting committed to this hospital? I love this list. It tells you how bad some things could be. And then some more ridiculous reasons people were admitted to an asylum in early days were laziness. Oh, there I go. Yeah. Um, religious enthusiasm. Oh, a zealot. Menopause. No, mama. <laughs> Superstition. Domestic trouble, which is pretty much what the first patient was there for. Yeah. Masturbation. Bunch of blind patients. Yeah. Money was also offered to those who dropped off a patient. So if you were broke and there was somebody in your life that you just simply didn't like, 
I would have definitely used this <laughs> Domestic to troubles. my advantage. We are broke. If I wasn't in the hospital myself for some ridiculous reason, I would use this to my advantage. That is what the domestic troubles were. Domestic troubles. We are broke at home. I'm selling you my wife. And she's also got the menopause. She's got the you menopause. You should see from. the novels she reads. Look at all these books she's bought. We just can't do this. I caught her praying yesterday. No. <laughs> no. The hospitals were mostly self-sufficient. I've watched documentaries that say they would have farms and everything. Yes. They raised vegetables, maintained a dairy herd, operated an ice plant. Fuel for heat was supplied by a nearby coal mine. That's West Virginia for you. Yeah. They had a reservoir for water. And clothes were also made at the hospital, as well as mattresses and some furniture, which was also like a therapy thing. It was to help people with mental health conditions learn a skill or a trade. I've heard uh, on the same Which I think is cool. Yeah, the same that would be helpful. The same documentaries I watched also said that a lot of these farming styles, either prisons, sometimes they're prisons, or sometimes they're asylums, they had better standards. From um, what time. I understand, the hospital started out wanting to do right. It had lots of open spaces. There was windows and doors that when they were open, light would shine in. And it was encouraging them to go out and have fresh air and things like that. It started out good. Is this it the one that's on good. the ghost tours that I told you we should go on? Yeah. Oh. It has a history tour and a ghost tour. Okay. I, I know a little bit about it, but not a whole, whole lot. The 600 acres also had a cemetery for the many patients who died over the years at the asylum. As they do. 1871, a 200-foot clock tower was completed. It's pretty much in the middle of the building, Uh from what I understand. The original plan was completed in 1881, and it costed a total of $725,000, and they went over budget, but I don't remember how much they went over. It was quite a bit. Pricey. At this time, more than 700 patients were housed in the 1,290-foot-long building. Walls were two and a half inches thick which made it good for muffling the screams of those being, in quotations, treated. Oh. In 1890, a women's auxiliary was built. I don't know what that is. Okay. I think of it as like an auxiliary, a section just for women. Okay. In 1913, the name was changed to Weston State Hospital, and a tuberculosis building was established in 1930. Every asylum had to have a TB ward. Yeah, that was another reason people were admitted. Yeah, that novels. Now I'm going to go into some of the treatments, tragedies, and hauntings. That's what we're here for. Yep. October 1935, patients set the hospital on fire, which ravaged the fourth floor. There were many other fires that were set by patients as well before, and I'm sure probably after. Yeah. The wing was rebuilt for $155,000. Nobody was killed in this particular one. I don't know about the others. That was a very expensive repair bill. Yeah. Back then, especially. Yeah. In 1938, 1,661 patients were at the hospital. That's a lot more than 700. Yes. A survey reported patients during this time included alcoholics, people with epilepsy, drug addicts, and non-educable mm-hmm. mental defects. Um, just people who weren't normal. Yeah. Okay. Other reasons found in reports as to why people were sent there was asthma, rabies, tuberculosis, and wives who were insubordinate to their husbands. Men could admit their wives for nearly any reason. 
Yes, yes, they could. And if he decided he wanted to move in his mistress or start a whole new relationship, he did not have to bring her home. And she would pretty much just remain there. She would have to stay there. And the way I read it, they pretty much kind of said property of the state. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Beth, that's exactly what an inmate is now. (laughs) You are property of the state. They're not afraid to say that. They don't like to say it, but I mean, that's pretty much what you are. That's why you can't harm yourself in jail. (laughs) This sounds like hysteria. What they used to say, a woman was hysterical if they just didn't do what a man said. Mm -hmm. That's why I'm surprised they didn't list things as hysteria. Yeah. Again, I learned this on, on Sawbones mostly. They used to think it was the woman's uterus moving around. That's what causes hysteria. A wandering womb. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. And this is why men should not make laws about women's bodies. I completely agree. Just another example out of many. That's just one. Children would sometimes stay with their mothers at the hospital, and some were even born and raised there. And Some of them spent their whole lives there if they died young. I don't know which way to look at that. Yeah. Uh, Bad? It's bad? Also, some were dropped off as orphans. I guess the orphanage might have been busy or too far away. Or maybe they like to read. I don't know. (laughs) Indigestion and doubting one's ancestry and political and religious excitement and being kicked in the head by a horse were some more reasons to taken to this hospital. I just want to see the person who dropped someone off and he was just not a normal person. One of his kids were just not acting right and they could, they were clearly going to be a little slow. So he just dropped them off and they said, what happened to him? He was kicked in the head by a horse and just left them there. So he didn't. These kind of people, and it makes you wonder how many people murdered their family that were like this instead of just admitting they even existed. Well, there's also tells about how they would lock them up in attics and basements and were in their bedrooms and never let them come out so people wouldn't know about yeah, them. Uh, we've all heard stories about that. I'm pretty sure that was the basis for uh, Scary Stories of the in the Dark movie, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's a real case about, I want to say there's a few real cases about that, but there's this one in particular that I keep seeing and I forgot what the woman's name was, but I feel like it was probably based on her. Yeah. Whoever she was. It's unfortunate, but it makes for a good scary story. Yeah. By 1949, the hospital had 1,800 residents. That's a lot more than the 700 it started and with. And I'm pretty sure it was over capacity when it reached the I mean, 1,661. They only added a woman's auxiliary wing. Of course it's over capacity. <laughs> The same year, the Charleston Gazette reported that Weston State Hospital had insufficient furniture, lighting, heating, and poor sanitation. When you have a building crammed in a max with people who like to read too many books, that's what happens. (laughs) Yeah. The hospital's population grew to 2,400 patients by the 1950s, more than 10 times the number it had been built to accommodate. I also read where. There were so many patients that they would have to share beds. They would let one patient or so many patients use a bed to get eight hours of sleep, and then they would have to take shifts and let other patients have eight hours of sleep and so on and so forth. Can you imagine that kind of life, especially for someone who uh, maybe it's a roll of the dice if there's actually something wrong with them or not, who may be unstable in some way or another? 
I guess I'd give them a routine if there's any funny side to that. Yeah. Uh, routines are always good, I think. I'm a creature of habit. Several brick structures were built during this time that included kitchen and dining facilities, laundry, shops, forensics building, and storage. Forensics building? Mm-hmm. Like NCIS? Like, I'm going to fingerprint you and... Oh, just the booking department of a jail. Um. Take your hair follicle. What could they possibly do with that back then? Uh, yeah, things like that. But I don't even think they had fingerprinting back then, did they? Oh, when? 1950s? Yeah, they had fingerprinting. Did they? Yeah, mm. that's about all they had, really. Maybe <laughs> blood typing, too. I don't know. Mm. Due to the hospital being overcrowded and understaffed with poor conditions, this was probably one of the worst times for the patients. Those who complained or acted out was sent to solitary confinement. For months, they would be chained to walls in empty rooms. That sounds awful. Mm-hmm. I say they were probably completely forgotten about and not fed properly if there was that many people. Oh, yeah, yeah. Till that and not that many staff. Several medical practices were used during these years at the hospital. Lobotomy. They were wonderful, state-of-the-art treatments. Ice picks to the eyes. Chloropromazine. Promazine? I'm not sure how to say that, but it's also known as Thorazine. Oh, okay. It was used to treat psychotic disorders. Like book reading. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to pronounce this one either. Laudanum. 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 You've heard of laudanum, right? Nope. It's basically uh, an opioid, I believe. Yeah. It's an opiate commonly used to treat pain. Yeah, laudanum. Insulin shock therapy, which placed patients in comas. So they just give them a lot of insulin. I guess so. I mean, yeah, that's exactly what yeah. it is. They also did ice water baths. Now, I have heard of that and seen it in TVs and everything. Mm-hmm. I think people still do it, don't they? Like a sports yeah. folks? I don't know why. There's got to be a reason, probably a muscle-related reason, but I don't know because I don't care what's going on. I do not want ice in my bath. I prefer cold baths and showers over hot ones, but I don't know about ice cold. <laughs> It depends on the temperature outside. Yeah, I'm not taking a bath anyway. I don't oh, like no, I'm not taking a bath. I, that's pretty much, I'm like, I do not want to wallow around in my own filth. Thank you very much. I'm sorry if you all like baths, but I just, I can't. They need to make a shower bomb so yeah. I can have like. They do. Oh, God, they really they do. They steam. I like them. That's cool. See, yeah. I didn't know that. They also used seclusion cells. That's basically just solitary confinement. Yeah, that's exactly what that is. And electroshock therapy. Oh, the classics. Mm-hmm. Good you, old you never mentioned lobotomy. That's because it's a bigger list, so I put it closer to the bottom of this, which is actually right here. Lobotomies. Okay, electroshock therapy and lobotomy. If it didn't include <laughs> that, you were lucky if you got the laudanum. Yeah. One of the preferred procedures used often was the ice pick, also called transorbital. Yeah, turn to the eye, right, right to the corner of the eye. Yeah. And they go, pop, and then wiggle it around a bit, and you're cured. That's what they say, anyway. Fact sure. Your... When you become a vegetable, I'm sure you can't feel all that pain or think. One of the presidents, <laughs> uh, was it uh, Roosevelt? I can't which presidential line had done that to one of their uh, female members. I don't remember if it was like a cousin or one of his... Children? Sisters or si- sister? I want to say, yeah. I think, I think it, it was, was a sister. sister. Seemed like a pretty nice girl until yeah. that, and then she just went downhill. Unfortunately, 
Or wait, was it Kennedy? Because a lot of stuff happened to the Kennedys. Yeah, yeah. That one in the plane that disappeared. Yeah. The one that got shot in Texas. Yeah. The one, a lot of the Kennedys. <laughs> Poor things. <laughs> Interesting. Weird, weird. Have you seen that yet? What are you talking about? The Snow White actress for the live one. Everybody's making fun of her. Yeah. A one or two pronged device which was driven through the orbital socket of the eye and into the brain with a sharp blue. That's what the ice pick thingy was. Yep, that's how it works. Yep. This was thought to relieve some of the patient's more severe symptoms. I bet it did. (laughs) Severe symptoms. I consider it's gonna cause different severe symptoms. Yeah. But the original ones you're not gonna feel because you won't be able to feel anything. Because no. we're going to whack a nerve in your brain. <laughs> Instead of whack-a-mole, it's whack-a-eye and then whack-a-nerve. They just, they just didn't care. They just lobotomized anybody back then. Oh, goodness, funny. In 1952, just one doctor alone performed 228 of these lobotomies for two weeks in West Virginia. Oh. He did it in two weeks. That's a busy man. 228 lobotomies from one doctor. Oh, goodness. And he used the Operation Ice... They called it Operation Ice Pick. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Dr. Walter Freeman conducted lobotomies for $25 per patient, and he encouraged crowds to watch during... Is this the guy that traveled to America doing it? Maybe. I don't know. Patients who underwent the procedure were often left unable to provide basic self-care, and many died during it. Yeah. I mean, it's an ice pack in your brain. Yeah. <laughs> Who would have guessed that was a bad idea? The ma- the fact that most a lot of them survived still is stunning. It really is. I would be one that was unlucky enough to survive something like that. I believe until the ice pick method came along, thanks to that American dude, it was mostly done with trepanation, which they just drill a hole in your head and then shove something in it. Jeffrey Domerway? I guess, but trepanation's been around for centuries millennia but that's not for me to talk about you need to watch the sawbones episode the first one about that you mean listen listen to the sawbones episode the first one it covers trepanation not being able to handle the large population led to an increase in violence in the hospital hmm. many cases of patients killing other patients <laughs> oh who done this one <laughs> yeah <laughs> two patients in particular used a set of bed sheets to hang one of the other patients when that didn't kill him, they cut him down, placed his head under a bed frame, and jumped on it until the bed frame touched the floor. They crushed his head. I wonder what led them to do that. There's a reason these people done this, and I'd like to know what it was. I think even if you didn't have these mental problems, the overcrowding, not sanitary, not being properly taken care of, plus you're getting ice picks possibly shoved into your eyeball and into your brain. It's probably going to cause things like this to happen. It's a recipe for disaster. It's going to cause you to have the problems that you originally didn't have but got committed anyway. It's like the perfect storm of atrocities. Yeah. Several female employees were raped and many former employees reported being attacked while working. A nurse went missing one evening. Two months later, her decomposing body was found at the bottom of a staircase that was not used. I don't know why they didn't use the staircase, but... Probably because there's a corpse on it. <laughs> Just walk around it. <laughs> it's said that some of the more violent, uncontrollable, and severely mentally ill were kept in cages 
to be able to deal with them easier. Can you imagine the stuff that people would do to avoid having to deal with something like that every day, all the time? I could understand it. Uh, Especially if they're going around raping the employees. Yeah, I'd cage you up too. I mean, it's not... I'm trying, like, I'm sorry if that's insensitive, but what else are you going to do? Chain them to the wall in one of these confined areas, but those rooms get taken up because it is overcrowded severely 10 times. This is a bad time to be in the healthcare profession. Yeah. Especially this particular one, if you could call it healthcare back then. That's what they tried to call it. Mental health profession. Yeah. In 1960, a medical center with a morgue was built. Oh, that seems a little late for that one. (laughs) 1985, Charleston Gazette again exposed the asylum and reported that inspectors found the asylum to be dirty and unkempt. That sounds like an understatement. (laughs) With many patients left naked and confined to dirty wards with bathrooms smeared with feces. In 1992, another reported by the Charleston Gazette described the terrible conditions inside the asylum. I want to say this is now the third time the Charleston Gazette has explained and reported the conditions. A lot of good it seems to be doing. Yeah. It said the same year, a patient, George Edward Bodie, died due to a fight with another patient. How does this not happen more often? It probably did, and I just didn't find that because I also didn't have a lot of time to do what I would normally actually enjoy doing. Yeah. Brian Scott B., another patient, committed suicide. His badly decomposing body was found eight days later. Nobody bothered to mention that there's a corpse in here again. You know, somebody's found it. It's probably normal. It's just the ones we hear about. Yeah. 1994. Good year. The hospital was forced to close due to changes in patients' treatments and the facility's physical deterioration. And the building stood abandoned for years. But in August 2007, the hospital was auctioned off. The 242,000-square-foot building was sold for $1.5 million. That's awful expensive for a building that's full of... Deteriorating and feces and so on. I don't know what I'd do with it, but I'd probably buy it if I had extra money. Oh, I would definitely buy it. I'd move into it. Like one section to be livable and the rest could just fall apart because I couldn't afford to run Ethernet cable through all of it. I wonder if they had like special lobotomy rooms. Oh, you know they did. People had to watch. If I moved into it, this is my lobotomy room. This is my You better behave while you're my guest. Be real good. I'll take you to the laudanum room. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. It is the largest hand-cut stone masonry building in North America. Tales of hauntings at the asylum started before it was even shut down. Yeah, when within husk of a lobotomy patient shuffles past you looking all pale and pasty for never seeing the sun i would call it haunted too some workers said to have quit after only a few days because of hearing inexplicable inexplicable noises such as the squeaky wheels of gurneys rolling along the hallway it's not awfully inexplicable at a hospital no i suppose they mean when somebody was there that i would assume so i'd hope so Many people died at the asylum. Over 2,000 people are buried in the cemetery. We only heard stories of a few. Like, Yes, four. only a few. If I would have had more time, trust and believe, I would have kept going into it, but I had to get assignments done, and it's still being a problem trying to get them done. There are said to be many spirits that range from Civil War era to children and deceased patients and staff. I don't know if I'd want to know all the stories of this place. I would. 
Some of the sightings include visitors and staff seeing ghostly figures walking in the halls at night and shadowy figures at all hours. I mean, if there's no beds, they're going to be up at all hours. Yeah. They have to share beds, remember? Yeah. Of course, the lobotomy patients are going to be wandering around. They don't understand that they're dead and they don't have to sleep. Balls of light are seen moving around in the hallways as well. <laughs> I can't believe you even included it. You even changed the, you changed the name from orb to ball, but Beth, it's all the same shape. <laughs> Honey, we must go. There's a moth reflecting the light. <laughs> Stephen, no. It's on your shoulder. Well, it's, there's also an apparitions. Apparition? Apparitions dressed in white. Ah, okay. That's a little bit less easy to explain. Yeah. A doctor reported that a spirit followed her home from work and continues to trouble her to this day. Wow. Now you're going to have to get on out of here. Get on now. This place has <laughs> been closed for years. I'm retired. <laughs> the <laughs> oldest part of the hospital, also called the Civil War Wing, is located on the first floor. The spirit of a former patient named Ruth is said to still linger there. Ruth apparently hated men. Oh. And would throw things at them. <laughs> and uh, they probably deserved it. Probably novels. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> she just had a collection of them who got committed. Oh. People have been pushed up against the walls and have heard whistling coming from the hallways. Sheldon Cooper would not like that. Not at all. In Ward 2, on the second floor, in one of the rooms, a man was stabbed 17 times by another patient. In a different room on the same floor, two other patients hung themselves from curtain rods. Really? They must have been stout curtain rods. Mm-hmm. Shadow figures. Hmm. The shadow figures were often seen there. Once an EVP captured someone saying, Get out. I like EVPs, especially if they're recorded in an empty room. Mm-hmm. Two patients tried to hang another patient. I think this is also. The one I mentioned earlier about the bed frame, but it was in the same article, so I put it in here, but I feel like it's probably the same thing. Two patients tried to hang another patient. When he didn't die, they bludgeoned him to death. By bouncing on a bed. Yeah. Maybe. We're not sure. Maybe. It might be a completely different one. It seems very common. Um, The murdered man's spirit is said to continue to haunt the room he was killed in. Two other spirits are also said to be on this floor. One called Big Jim. And there's also a nurse called Elizabeth. Ah, Big Jim and Elizabeth. Mm. Sounds like a wedding invitation. Doors close by themselves. Apparitions are seen. A number of strange noises have been caught on EVPs as well. Like, get out. No, not my eye. (laughs) Stop stabbing with that (laughs) aspect. On the fourth floor, a child named Lily sits in a toy room. She wears a white dress, about nine years old. Toys move around on their own. A music box plays by itself. And the legend of Lily is that she was a little girl who spent most of her life inside the asylum. Oh. If not all of her life inside the asylum. Yeah, that seems likely too. Yeah. One version says her parents dropped her off at the hospital. The second version says that she was born there while her mother was committed. She died of pneumonia when she was nine years old. At the hospital. A lung infection. That's awful. Mm -hmm. At least it wasn't tuberculosis, which is also a lung infection of some sort. More sinister spirits are said to be on the fourth floor as well. A black mass-like object and a strange apparition called the Creeper 
crawls along the floor. Now, could this possibly be the bait? Like, Black mold? Well, <laughs> I was thinking more like uh, House on Haunted Hill, the newer version. Yeah, that's what I thought of when I was... I wonder what rumors started first, this or the movie. And I also thought of the blob, but it didn't say gooey. So, House on a Haunted Hill. No. Made oh, no, more the, sense. the laudanum ghosts have congealed. There's also sounds of banging on pipes that are often heard. Classic. Yeah. A soldier they call Jacob is said to be seen walking in the hallways. And then there's unearthly sounds, such as screams in the electroshock room, banging, doors slamming mysteriously, moaning, ominous breathing, and... Laughter from empty rooms. Ha! Ah, they <laughs> stuck me in the eye. <laughs> I'm glad after you, <laughs> I got shocked. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't like try to do the moaning and ominous breathing at the same time. <laughs> Objects move on their own, as well as the other places. Visitors say they feel as if they are being watched because it's a creepy place. Yeah. Other stories or good to mention things that I put in here is a patient who was a former boxer suffered from injuries that rendered him emotionless and sometimes violent. He was placed in a solitary cell. He attempted to beat down the metal door when it was closed behind him. He ripped one of the doors off its hinges and left dents in the other door. When the door was open, he handed the door he destroyed to the nurse and calmly returned to his room. When a patient passed away, staff would notify the next of kin. In many cases, families did not return to identify or take the bodies, probably because they were husbands of the wives that passed away that they dropped off there and they done moved their mistress in and had three or four kids by them. Technically, back then, with the records they kept, they could have just remarried and nobody would know any better. Mm -hmm. Those not claimed were assigned a number and buried in the cemetery. They were issued a simple gravestone with only their identification number. That's more than some places, so... I'm not saying they're lucky. Yes, but over time, many of the gravestones were removed and repurposed. This is new patient 102. <laughs> Pretty much there was B. no way of identifying the bodies even today. Yeah, that's a pity. Yeah. Today, there is a museum located in the area under the clock tower. And as said before, there are ghost and history tours that are offered to visitors. That's all I have for that. I'm sure there's a lot more, and I really, really am upset that I don't have the time. But I really enjoy hearing more about this place because I didn't know everything about it. I just knew it was on our way to Point Pleasant, West Virginia, and I kind of want to go there sometime when I seen it on tours. Same trip I had planned, actually, with the uh, amusement park that's haunted up there, the abandoned amusement park. Lake Shawnee? Yeah. We do have plans to go to the Mothman Festival. We might include on our YouTube channel some footage of this or maybe some overlays of photos we took while we were there while we do the podcast about that. We're going to cover the Mothman incident and the bridge collapse over the Ohio. Which is why this month is going to be Appalachian theme. Beth, do you have any socials before I go into our outro and tell people about our other shows and programs? You can email me at horrifichistory.hauntings at gmail.com. I also have a Pinterest, Horrific History Hauntings is what that one's called. And I have a TikTok, Horrific History Hauntings as well. We have a YouTube channel now. And if you're listening to this on YouTube, we've always had a podcast. The links to both of those, depending on what you're watching or listening to, will be in the description of the episode. We are part of the Gruesome Gaming Group. It's a podcast network that covers horrific history and hauntings. And another podcast my sister and I do called Brother Knows Quest. It's a podcast where I bring a tabletop role-playing game 
and introduce her to the lore and some of the basic rules of that role-playing game and see if she would like to ever play it. It's a podcast where I do most of the talking. Also, I have a podcast with my friend Dakota. It's about video games and the games that have had an impact on our life in one way or another. Usually they're good ones. And lately I've been talking about some of the Starfield stuff I've been doing on there. Because it's a big Bethesda RPG and I really like talking about it. Uh, he also talks about Donkey Kong, which is educational for me because I never played it. If you're watching this or listening to this anywhere, if you could leave us a review, like us, subscribe. I wonder if they sell ice picks at the museum shop. Seems a bit insensitive. Uh, we have social media accounts. Anything that's relevant will be in the description as well or on the website in the description that takes you to our podcast homepage. Thank you for listening. I've been Ramey. And I'm Ben. And you've been listening to HH&H. Goodbye. <laughs>